Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. This is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, February 16th, 2017. Good afternoon to those in the western time zones, and good evening to those in the east. Joining me tonight in a few minutes is attorney, California attorney Patricia Rodriguez to help explain the role of lawyers in foreclosure defense. I hit the jackpot on the whole U.S. bank rent-a-name scheme, which I might add I described in detail in the foreclosure defense workbooks I published at the beginning of all this mayhem. I'm still sorting through the material that all of you are sending to me. Thank you so much for your participation. A lot of information piling in on U.S. bank. Of course, some of that analysis is freely available to all of you because it comes from the U.S. Bank website. But there's also uh, additional uh, documents that I'm getting uh, that are buried pretty deep. I want to thank all of you for sending me information like that and encourage you to continue doing so, not only on U.S. Bank, but on other issues that are relevant to our scope of business here. We're going to be talking about legal options and a reminder that while Google is fine and very helpful, don't mistake your Google search with a law degree and years of court experience. And lawyers have different approaches matching their styles and knowledge. That doesn't make one right and another wrong. Just because I say something doesn't mean that other lawyers are not winning on grounds that maybe I said were weak. And just because you read something on the Internet doesn't mean the lawyer is wrong. So we're going to get into several issues with Patricia uh, in a moment. I'm broadcasting live from... Duval County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 202-838-6345, our main number, and pledge whatever you think you can afford. 
If this show and our other work has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Patricia Rodriguez, thanks for returning to the show. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here as always. So um, I think we have some prior agreement about what we're going to discuss uh, uh, today. Why don't we start off with uh, a description of what you, um, when I say you, your firm does for clients. Oh, most certainly. So our office is, um, first and foremost, um, we look at each individual case and we give a consult to each individual case um, to determine if we can help with a pending foreclosure. And since we're in a non-judicial foreclosure state here in California, we look to see if there's been a notice of default or a notice of trustee sale that's pending. At that point, we assess you know, whether or not there are any claims to bring against the lender in the origination of the loan, in the servicing of the loan, and in the selling of the loan on the second market. And we, of course, at that time, look to see if they've done any type of rescission of the original um, contract. Once we've assessed their legal claims, then we advise the potential client of their ability to sue and kind of what they would get out of that lawsuit, um, whether they're looking to go to trial or they're looking to settle um, for some type of uh, cash amount or if they want to short sell the property or they want to short pay the property or ultimately modify the loan. And in some instances, they just want to resolve the dispute and walk away from the property without contesting the foreclosure. So that's a brief overview of how we assess the situation and what remedies can come from working with our office. So clients coming to you are going to get advice, uh, potentially uh, litigation, uh, representation in court, and uh, assistance in modification, short sales, short pay, and things like that, right? Yep, that's it. All right, so that positions you as the right person to be talking to uh, on the questions uh, which I keep getting uh, by email and calls and so forth, uh, dealing with the layperson's view of going to a lawyer. And uh, I think the... Uh, uh, the first thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that a lawyer is not a therapist, uh, and the lawyer, whoever you go to, especially if you've done some Internet research and got real enthusiastic about some magic bullet that you think is out there, the lawyer is probably going to uh, try to disengage you from that conviction. Uh I think Patricia calls it the importance of being realistic. You want to comment on that? Oh, yes, most definitely. I, I think that that is really where a lot of people get uh, mishapped in this whole of all of it. I mean, first and foremost, at least for the state of California, if not, you know, for most other states, the bank has no obligation to modify the loan. They're not under any type of duty to modify the loan. 
And generally speaking, in California, where most courts want to say resoundedly that the borrower lacks standing to challenge the bank's standing to foreclose, you know, that the, the borrower lacks the ability to challenge their um, chain of title, then you're really, you know, paddling upstream, probably without a paddle. So when that's happening, you have to be realistic about what you can achieve. If you walk in and you have zero income, but you're seeking a permanent modification, but you have no money, that's unrealistic. <laughs> no one's going to give you a loan right now. No one's going to modify your loan either, unless you have some amazing case. Now, maybe if you did your rescission within the first three years and other requirements were met, then you do have a stronger case. Or if you um, did a three-month trial plan payment and then the bank didn't honor that and give you a permanent modification, well, then you probably have a stronger case as well. So there are instances where the case is going to make it where you can get a modification even though you don't have income. But generally speaking, if you don't have income, you're not going to get a modification. And if we can't prove that you have standing to challenge the bank standing to foreclose, then you're not going to get the holy grail that everyone seems to think that there's a silver bullet for, and that's free and clear title. Now, I know that's happened in other states, but in the state of California, I'm yet to hear of one instance where a first lien mortgage was stripped in its entirety. So clients have to be realistic about the probability of that happening in their case. I think I think it has happened in California, but it's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. Uh, one of the things that I know has, has its ups and downs on the Internet is this whole thing where the uh, 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 people think that they can just sue to quiet title, which I confess again, uh, I was uh, partially responsible for that getting uh, traction out there. I, over the last five years, I've repeatedly said that I was wrong about that and that uh, uh, quiet title is a rare remedy only where uh, an instrument has been filed in the chain of title that is essentially a wild deed that should never have been there. It was void to begin with and should never have been recorded. Um, uh, the the quiet title aspect is, is generally a loser, and I don't recommend that anybody uh, uh, follow that as a strategy. So... Yeah, I am in agreement with that as well, you know, that especially in the state of California, they make you tender. You know, I think the tender rule might be a little different elsewhere, but here, you know, they have a California judge-made rule where you have to put up the whole balance of the loan if you want to do something in equity, and they find quiet title to be in equity, not in the, you know, that's a common law court, not a um, statutory jurisdictional um, claim. And also, you know, as far as quiet title, I've seen some cases where Greenpoint funding, like they might have quiet titled against them, but it was like they were the original lender and they weren't even seeking to collect at that point. So it's like you, you got a quiet title against all of the parties, including the entities at the end, and I'm yet to see them get quiet, like a borrower get quiet title as to these entities at the end that are claiming an ownership through a transfer. Yeah, I agree with that. So how do you feel now about uh, uh, the bank's influence over government, really, but in, in our case, I guess that would be mainly focused on the court system. 
But yeah, I mean, I think that that's another part of borrowers being realistic about what it is that they're involved in. They're involved in an uneven, unfair bargaining, you know, transaction, one at which they sat down at a table with a entity that they're contracting with who has significantly more power. That's why they were negotiating these really awful contracts for a lot of them, you know, that were subprime mortgages or that the properties were overvalued and they, you know, took out a loan for them for a million dollars when they were really worth 600000 So all of that being considered, you're now talking about renegotiating that same contractual agreement and you have to be realistic about the bank's power in that and that, again, they are under no duty to modify your loan. Well, why is that? Because they heavily influence the laws that are being drafted by the legislatures that would require them to modify your loan or otherwise, you know, and not only are they influencing the actual laws, you get a law like SB 900 that's really great for the borrowers, but then you get the banks to influence these other laws like SB 94 that regulates who can assist with a modification under and under what terms. And now the state of California seems to be expanding who, and it continues to try to expand, who they're going to cover with SB 94 and how they're going to implement SB 94 and the codification of that. And it's stifling, you know, who will come into the foreclosure practice as an attorney. Um, it's greatly stifling that. So you have, you know, trickles. You have one or two or five of us that are even in this area of law to assist with this type of work um, that, greatly, you know, influences the bank's power to continue to prey on the borrowers when there's not an army of attorneys protecting them because they're influencing the laws that even govern us. So, yeah, I, I mean, I uh, I certainly agree with everything you just said. The, uh, uh, the, the whole assumption continues to be that the uh, origination of the loan, the assignments, and all that, uh, they might have been, uh, I guess, what some would say mildly defective, but that's no reason to give a person a free house. And so they just rule uh, against borrowers uh, when there are legitimate defenses, which under ordinary circumstances, uh, years ago, before right. this this whole era, uh, they never would have gotten away with. So, right. It's like they did it on such a grand scale that everybody's so terrified of the slippery slope that they're allowing them to get away with outright fraud and deceit, and it's just going on with impunity because of how grand scale it has been that it's almost like they're desensitized to it to believe that it's the norm now. Right, the new normal. Right. So so in terms of what help is out there for uh, people who are trying to save their homes, uh, we had the Ivanova decision, which uh, kind of took a step forward and then a step back. Uh, <laughs> where do we with that now in California. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one beautiful part about it. It was a step forward, you know, so even when you step back, you know, you're still kind of in the same place. Um, we're at least in a position where we can argue over chain of title issues now, and we're in a better position if those chain of title issues are irrespective of securitization, you know, that there's some other failure in this assignment that makes it void. Um, because if you're post-foreclosure, then you're absolutely within your right and have standing to challenge those things, um, the chain of title issues. And so we're seeing motions to consolidate post-foreclosure being granted in California where we're stopping the UD while we prosecute these issues. Um, but what we're really working towards now and what we're really fighting in the appellate courts now is the um, extension of this Ivanova decision to pre-foreclosure cases, to cases where the foreclosure sale has not occurred yet, but we have standing to challenge you know, whether or not the banks have the right to foreclose and they have proper title. Um, we're still looking for a court to give us that ruling in the appellate district so we can take it up to the California Supreme Court again. Um, but I know those issues are being litigated by uh, other attorneys as well as myself currently in the appellate division. That's the part of the Ivanova decision that makes no logical or legal sense to me. If, right. If, you know, here's a, the California Supreme Court saying that if the assignment is void, you've got uh, an absolute right to sue for wrongful foreclosure and that you can presume emotional distress damages, all these good things for borrowers, but then they turn around in the same decision and say that the void assignment uh, argument cannot be used before the foreclosure is over. So you're dealing with a void assignment that we know both pre-foreclosure and post-foreclosure was void. Void means it's nothing under the law. And what the Ivanova decision did was say you can sue for damages, but you can't stop the foreclosure uh, under the uh, uh, under the Ivanova ruling. And then we saw the uh, junior appellate courts uh, uh, saying that the void assignment was actually voidable because it could have been ratified, meaning that a trust, for example, uh, uh, could have ratified the assignment, even though the loan was in default and that it uh, was way past the cutoff date, and if they did ratify it, it would have had enormous uh, tax effect on the investors who put up money, supposedly, into the trust. So can you talk a little bit about this void and voidable situation? Right. I mean, this is the issue that's now also approaching the appellate courts. We've had some opinions that were unpublished. We've had a few published opinions that went against the borrowers, but they're 
is no surprise there when, you know, the second district court of appeals presiding judge is J.R. Rothschild. Well, then we're not surprised that they ruled that it would be avoidable and not void. What doesn't make any sense about this is if you look at the pooling and servicing agreements of the trust, the trust clearly say their own documents that govern them, that if it is a minuscule administrative task, it can be ratified such as, you know, um, the wrong date being put on the assignment or um, the wrong person's initials or something that's administrative that's not to do with substantive. This was a substantive issue, whether or not the closing documents made it into the trust by the closing date. So whether or not you had all of the assignments, all of the endorsements to the custodian, to the trustee by the closing date, especially because you had a cutoff date and then you had a closing date. So you had a 90-day window to comply with these things. If you didn't comply, then you couldn't – this isn't something you could fix later. This That would – that would contravene and circumvent the entire purpose of having a closing date if you could just enter in things to the trust after this particular date. So it's inoc- you know, it's in opposite to what New York trust law says and what New York law says. Its interpretation is off, and I think that there will ultimately be possibly the 5th District again, the 1st District, another district that takes in an opposite position to the 2nd District and to the 4th District that will bring us up to the California Supreme Court again. Well, I certainly hope that this thing is cleared up, and it's a problem which I think the court created, uh, again, with the thought, like you said, of this thing has become so large, everybody's afraid of the slippery slope, and they're afraid that the whole financial system will collapse if these people are not thrown out of their homes. Uh, a, a view which I obviously don't share, and I know you don't either. So let's uh, uh, see if we can get to some other topics here. Um, the uh, HAMP uh, uh, expired in December, and there is uh, some sort of uh, new new rules that are in place now. Can you explain something about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's exactly what it is. HAMP, Tier 1 and Tier 2, I believe HARP, the other government program, all expired on December 31st um, in the beginning of this year. And so it's just something to be cognizant of now when borrowers are applying for modifications. Um, it's really in the context of settlements through the lawsuits in that um, it's now in-house modifications, which are really just another term for settlements um, that would come from the lawsuit. So there aren't these independent uh, government federal programs anymore. So you have to be conscious that a lot of these servicers are going to claim now that they just don't participate in any type of uh, loan modification programs, and so they're not going to review a complete application. Well, that's likely some, a grounds for litigation because that's an arbitrary reason to deny them. They can absolutely assess in every case an in-house modification. Now, they might not qualify for the in-house modification for some particular reason, but that's different than saying we won't review you at all. Right. And I, you know, um, I just had one of the things sent to me uh, in the last few days uh, was an insurance contract wherein the insurer was guaranteeing against default 
of loans, presumably in a pool. And in that contract, it gave complete authority to the insurance carrier to determine whether there would be a foreclosure, whether there would be a modification, what the terms of the modification would be, and everything else that you would imagine that is claimed by the trust is not even in the hands of the master servicer, which is what I thought it was, but rather in the hands of uh, people a few layers away. I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't even say up. I'd just say laterally, uh, who actually have uh, the ability to make those calls. Now, I don't know if they're making those calls, or if those contracts are stuck in there so that the subservicers and master services can say, well, we couldn't do a modification because we couldn't get consent from the insurer. Have you seen or heard anything about this, and what are your thoughts about that? Um, no, this is, sounds like a new issue, one that I haven't been presented with yet, so I would need to look at the contracts. You'd really want to see what the terms of the written agreement was and what everyone had agreed to do to determine how valid it was what they were doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hadn't seen it before a couple of days ago myself, and I was I was very surprised to see that uh, – uh, that that was in the insurance contract, and it it made me wonder now that I've seen that if there weren't provisions like that in other uh, vehicles that they used, like credit default swaps and so forth, if there were not certain restrictions, which actually would make sense if you're using hedge products uh, that might divest the people supposedly representing the trust without getting into the invalidity of all that uh, might divest them of having any power, control, or even influence over what happens. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm troubled by that on a, a number of fronts, and you can be sure that if insurance products had that, probably other hedge products that had it as well, and that in turn those contracts were probably sold either by the master servicer or the insurer themselves uh, to yet other parties to um, uh, dilute the potential risk that that the insurer might have been facing. So uh, in, in, a, in a minute or less or whatever, uh, Patricia, where do you think we're headed over the next year or two? I mean, I definitely think that it's going to take some more appellate work to get this issue of void and voidable and to continue with the litigation. I mean, we need to continue to push the fight, continue to get more borrowers out there to continue to put pressure on them to change these 
issues such as whether or not they have to modify, such as whether or not they have to negotiate or renegotiate these contracts once there's this huge downturn in the market, where are these losses going to be born? Are they going to be born with the borrower? Are they going to be born with the banks or both? Uh, so there's you know, a perception issue, like you said, that we need to work on changing over the next couple of years, but we need to just continue to push back and fight these influences that are you know, um, getting everybody to kind of look at it the way they want to with these assumptions of them always being right. Yeah, it kind of looks to me like, they're holding off until more, you know, we still have several million foreclosures to go. I think they're holding off so that as many of those can be cleared out as possible before the courts finally say, you know what, you're right. These things are all fraudulent and they should not be allowed from this point forward. And uh, uh, I, I think that the uh, uh, we will see progress being made towards that point. It will be gradual, of course. It's always gradual in the court system. But uh, I, I think that we certainly have laid the groundwork with what what you're doing in litigation and what you're doing in modifications and so forth uh, for your clients. So, Patricia Rodriguez, we have run out of time. I want to thank you for having uh, come on the show again and for being so informative for me and our listeners. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you. Always my pleasure. Talk with you soon. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show. For free information and advice, and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.